0: Well, this morning we're going to continue with <clears throat> the title, I guess, is Heaven Rules. And I told you a few weeks ago um, that is a title of a book that is written by Nancy DeMoss Olgemuth, um Heaven Rules. And if you want to read the book, I think it's a great book. Uh, it's great. and It's not very big. It's a little book. I'm actually going to quote her a couple of times as we're going through this. And she wrote this book primarily during the whole season of COVID, when all things were even maybe crazier than they are now. I don't know for sure. So this morning's message is titled The One True King. The One True King. And it's it's more of a continuation of last week's message than it is an entirely new message. You remember last week I started out by (coughs) asking some questions such as, what is going on in this world we live in? How long is it going to be this chaotic? Who's going to fix it? And some of us are so deceived that we think if we elect the right president or governor or get the right Supreme Court justices, everything's going to get better. You're deceived. I don't care which political party you support, what candidates you support. This is a heart issue in a nation that has abandoned God in so many ways. And what we need is a spiritual awakening and a revival in this land. There are problems that only God can solve. And my encouragement is, He can. He can solve any problem. And we're going to look at some of those things this morning that I hope encourages. You know, when we ask sometimes, I know I ask this question maybe too many times of the Lord, and He probably gets tired of me asking. God, where in the world are you in this situation? Where are you in this circumstance? Where are you in the midst of all this chaos? Where are you in the midst of all of this disunity? What in the world is going on? And then I'm reminded that he's God and I'm not. And I'm not going to fix many things. I can't even fix myself. But what I want us to start out with is sort of by laying a baseline when it comes to authority. Authority figures in nations, in the world, in our states, whatever. But there's some scriptures. I'm just going to read them or at least parts of them quite quickly. They're not going to be on the screen. But to give us an idea, when we look at the authority, those that God has placed governing over us, listen to some of these scriptures. One of them will come across soon in Daniel chapter 2, verse 21. It says this in regard to God. He changes times and He changes seasons. He sets up kings and He deposes them. He puts them in place and He removes them. Daniel four seventeen, the decision is announced by messengers, the holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the most high is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. He is sovereign. He doesn't make every detailed decision. He has given us free will, but he uses everything that takes place, whether it's accomplished in our own foolishness or ignorance, or in our wisdom, or if it's accomplished because of the enemy, the evil one, he will use all these things to bring about his purposes. We need to always go back and look at Scripture and remember, especially in the days we're living in, we do not fight against flesh and blood. If you're a Democrat, the Republicans aren't the enemy. If you're a Republican, the Democrats aren't the enemy. And depending on your religion, it doesn't matter. We don't fight against flesh and blood. We fight against powers and principalities and high places. And we need to remember that or we will go crazy in the world that we're living in. Romans 13, New Testament, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. And sometimes I ask him, what in the world were you thinking? Because when I read that, I don't just go recent history. I go back and say, wait a minute. Stalin, Lenin, Hitler, what in the world? I don't understand. Probably won't until we're in heaven. Maybe even not then. I don't know. But it's clear from his word that he establishes authorities. And he's given man free will so we make some crazy choices. But I believe with my whole heart, he will use everything for his glory to accomplish his purposes eventually. And it's that eventually that drives me crazy because I want to know right now and I want to see it change right now. And in First Peter 2.13, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men. Ooh, does anybody hate that scripture? Yeah, I just have to swallow hard when I read it submit to every authority that God has established, unless they are asking me to violate the Word of God. And we're going to look at Daniel as an amazing example, like we did a couple weeks ago and like we're going to do in the future a little bit. He is an amazing example of living as an exile in a foreign land. And remember, he was like 14, 15 years old when they were taken captive and hauled off to Babylon. And they went through all of that, trying to deprogram them, them from their faith, their religion, their God, and educate them in the finest that Babylon had to offer in every way. And they took a stand when it came to the diet, because he was not going to. And we also know some familiar stories in the book of Daniel. There's that little story about the lion's den. There's a, other stories about Daniel where they faced imminent death. We'll touch on one of those today. And we'll see that they put their trust in God even when their very life was on the line. God is the one true king. He is the supreme authority. Now, I just want to reiterate this one more time and then I'm going to quit repeating it. God does not cause every event that takes place in our life to happen. He is sovereign. He is in control. But we have a free will and we have an enemy. But I do believe that God will take all those things that happen and ultimately use them for His glory. And I admit right now in front of all of you, I don't understand how He can do that sometimes. But He does, and I choose to believe that because that's what His Word tells me. God is the one true King. The problem is uncertainty, anxiety, fear, frustration, jealousy, rage, all of these things can easily get our eyes off of that one true king. And we get our eyes on the wrong things, thinking that they are going to be the solution to our problems. While they may help like Band-Aids help, they are not going to change most of these problems at their root cause because the root cause comes out of the heart of men and the enemy God will use it for His glory somehow. We can't forget, God is at work as the one true king whether we see it or not. And an awful lot of the time, we don't see it. Part of the reason we don't see it is we're not looking. We're not looking to see what God is doing. The things that are going on around us or in our personal lives or in a nation or even in the world, they bombard us so much with all this information, that we get so frustrated and worked up and confused, we forget to listen to the Holy Spirit. We forget to consider who's ultimately in charge. Man, when I'm going through garbage in my life, it really takes an effort to remind myself to step back and say, okay, Lord, what's going on? Usually I start blaming you or somebody else instead of saying, okay, Lord, what are you trying to work out in me? What are you trying to change in my heart? I don't know. Sometimes you just have to trust him because he still doesn't tell me. And he probably doesn't always tell you. So Daniel sets for us an amazing example of how to live as exiles. And we've said this before. According to the scripture, this is not our home. Planet Earth, the United States, Minnesota, or whatever little town we're from. We are called exiles. Our home is in heaven. That's our ultimate home. We're exiles, and I stress that because I think we can learn something from Daniel because he's an exile. He's living in a pagan land with narcissistic rulers, evil people all around him. And it's really amazing. You read through the whole book of Daniel, and then go ahead and read it again and again and again. You won't find Daniel whining, whining, Or complaining once. Crazy. Not once. No matter what happened, his faith was unassailable. He was going to hang on to his faith and the God that he knew no matter what was going on around him. Even in situations where his life was on the line, very much so. He stayed calm amazing. He didn't waver. He didn't panic. And I know there are lots of reasons for different mental health issues, but there's so many things that are coming from our fears, our fears and our worry and our panic. So many things. Not everything. So many things. Daniel stayed calm. He only knew that God was his king no matter what was going on around him and that God knew what he was doing even when he didn't and we don't. Despite all the dangers and challenges that he faced, he knew he really had nothing to fear because God was in control. And again, we'll see in just a moment again like we did a couple weeks ago, he is working under some crazy, crazy rulers. And you'll see he outlives a whole lot of them in his time in Babylon. And each one was pretty much crazy, narcissistic and evil, egocentric nuts. And yet he worked with them. He worked alongside them. He became a confidant of those that ruled over him. They gave him authority eventually over the whole kingdom. How in the world could that happen? His faith was active. It impacted people, the things that the Lord used him to do. The Lord obviously allowed him to be taken into exile for such a time as this, that God could demonstrate who he was in a pagan, pagan land. He never panicked. And he didn't stay cool, calm, and collected because it was in him to naturally be that way. It wasn't him. He's quick to acknowledge it's all about the Lord. He knew that there is no king. And for us, there is no president, there is no governor, there is no Supreme Court justice. There is no one who is more powerful than the king of kings and the Lord of lords, period. And there's no heart that can be so hardened that the Lord cannot, if he so desires, soften it. He's in control. Even when it doesn't look like it. And before I go to Daniel, I want to go back into a psalm once, and it, it fits so well with one of the songs we sang about the storm. It's in the Psalms chapter number 29. And this scripture will be on the screen, I believe. The whole chapter of 29, it, it's referring to storms, a chaos. And it talks about the Lord's voice thundering and all of these things. And when it goes to the verse 10 and 11, we read these words. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. The Lord gives strength to his people and the Lord blesses his people with peace. What are the floods in our life? We all face them numerous times. It's like sometimes it feels like we're drowning. The circumstances and the situations that we find ourselves in, it seems like a storm that there is no way we can survive it, no way we can get through it. It's interesting, when you read that scripture, notice he sits above the storm and he sits enthroned, and he's going to be there forever. He's not panicked. He's not surprised. He's not worried about the storms. Now, I want to say this. Storms still can be dangerous. We need to take the storms in our lives seriously. There may be times where we're dealing with fears, and there certainly is times in the midst of some of the storms we face, that there are a whole lot of tears being shed. But that's no reason to lose control, panic, and allow fear to take over. Our God is still God, even when it looks like our little world and oftentimes our little kingdom is falling apart. He is still God, and we're not. And notice the promise that's in that verse. Not that only he sits above the storms. He knows what's going on. It says he gives us strength and he blesses us with peace. Boy, sometimes in those storms of life, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I feel totally weak and helpless. There's a storm going on and it may be in my own life and maybe in somebody else's life that I care about. And I see this storm and there's like... I don't know what to do. I'm sure that doesn't build a lot of confidence in some of you, but sometimes I know I'm going to meet with somebody and I'm in my office going, Lord, I have no clue what to do. No idea. So I pray, and then I have to remind myself that you do. This storm didn't surprise you that it was coming. You're not surprised at the the turns it's taken. And you know how it's going to, For now, you know the outcome. Lord, just help me not get in the way. But he gives us strength and peace in those storms. Sometimes it doesn't feel like it. And more often than not, the reason it it doesn't feel like it is we've taken our eyes off of the Lord. And we've got our eyes on all of the thunder and lightning and raging waters of the flood. Instead of getting back here and being able to say, okay, Lord, I don't understand it. I don't see it, but I know who you are, and I know you're working. I'm going to trust you no matter what. God, give me the strength. Give me the peace, just as you promise in your word. So often I hear people say things that are observing Christians going through terrible, terrible things. and I don't know where they get their strength to do that. I know some people in this room that came to the Lord because they watched the peace and strength in people going through tragedies. And they said, whatever they got, that's what I need. God gives us strength. He gives us peace. You know, panic really shouldn't be an option. Panic really is a senseless waste of time. We need to get our eyes back on the Lord. Back to Daniel. Thank you, David. The king has a dream in chapter 2. And he's kind of like me sometimes. The way I look at this chapter, he has this dream. He's awakened by the dream because it's a terrifying dream. And he wakes up and he's terrified. He can't go back to sleep. And he can't remember the dream. That's a bummer. So he calls upon all of his sorcerers, his mediums, the astrologers. He calls about on everybody he's got in the kingdom, and they call him his wise men. He calls on all these people that he usually relies on, and he says, Ah, come, I had a dream, a troubling dream. I need all of you brilliant, wise men of Babylon to tell me what the dream was. Now that's a problem. I've had people come to me and say, Mike, I had this dream. Could you tell me what you think it means? I panic on that much. But can you imagine somebody coming to you and say, boy, I had a horrible night last night. I had this dream. It was so lifelike. It was so real. I woke up so afraid and frightened and I don't remember what it was. Tell me what the dream was. Ah. His magicians and sorcerers and mediums say, well, king, powerful king, you tell us your dream and we'll tell you the meaning of your dream. And he goes, no way. Even if I remembered it, I wouldn't tell you it. Because I know you guys. You're going to just make something up. Think you're going to tell me what I want to hear about this dream. No, I want you to tell me the dream and then give me the interpretation and then I'll know that you really got the interpretation. Otherwise, I don't trust you, period. Well, they said, oh, king, and this is about the closest they came to speaking truth. Oh, king, oh, king, there is no one who's walking on planet Earth that could give you the interpretation of that dream. It would have to be one of the gods who don't inhabit and walk with human flesh. Well, they were sort of Right. It wasn't God's. It was one God, but they didn't get that yet. And the king blew a gasket. He was so angry, so enraged, he said he gave an edict to his chief bodyguard, or that same word translated bodyguard can be translated executioner. He gave this word to his chief bodyguard, Ariak, He says, go and kill every wise man in all of Babylon. Oh goodness. The problem here is, well, there's a number of them. But one of the big problems is this. Daniel and his buddies Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are considered part of the wise men of Babylon. And they are under the same death sentence as all of these nutty magicians and sorcerers and astrologers. They're doomed to death. And then it tells us that, well, I'm adding just a little bit here and there. Ariak goes and knocks on his door. Now, I don't know if he really had a door, but he's in his room, so I'm going to assume he had a door. There's a knock on his door, and Daniel Daniel says, okay, come on in. Who is it? And it's the chief executioner, the chief of the bodyguards, Ariok. And he says, we got a problem. I'm here to kill you. Now, how many of you would just stay cool, calm, and collected? Because this guy has the authority and the weaponry, and he's evil enough, he'd be glad to kill you. Whatever it takes to keep the king happy and protect his position of power. But that's not how Daniel responds. We don't see fear and anxiety. As a matter of fact, Daniel responds, and it uses these words, with discernment, and discretion. No panic. Part of me is like, Daniel, are you crazy? He's gonna kill you. That's why he's here. And when he's done with you, he's gonna go get your friends. There's gonna be a bloodbath in Babylon. And he responds with discernment and discretion. What did he discern? I don't know for sure, but I know the very least that he discerned was this was not from his God. This was from a narcissistic, evil, enraged King Nebuchadnezzar. Not his God. Daniel asks him, I don't get, what's the problem? Why is our king going, he didn't say crazy. Why is our king so urgent in this demand, I think is the word he used. Why is he going so crazy that he wants to kill everybody? So they explain the problem to him. Ariach explains the problem to Daniel. He tells him about the dream, etc. So now Daniel, Daniel at least knows what's going on. And then Daniel, because of the position and respect that he's earned in his time so far in captivity, goes and sees the king. Now that's a little bit of courage. Obviously his fear is not in that man. His trust is in God. He goes to the king who was just given a command that he's supposed to kill all of these wise men, including Daniel. And he goes to him and he says, Oh okay, king, would you give me a little time? Don't kill us all today. Let's just give me a little time, and I will see that I can come back and give you the interpretation. And the king I believe, out of respect for Daniel and what he has done in the past as much as anything else, says, okay, give you a little time. And then it tells us something in verse, I think it's verse 18, that when Daniel went to seek the Lord, it says these words, Daniel and his friends sought the compassion of the Lord that they might not die. They cried out for God's compassion. Not that that's the answer all to every question, but it's something considered. God, I am crying out to you in your compassion. And that's what Daniel did. They sought the Lord. What we see here, what I see here, is Daniel with a strength that is not of his own and a peace that could only come from God. Strength and peace, peace and strength from the Lord just as the psalmist David wrote about. Yet David knew, Daniel knew, that the king is ultimately the king of heaven, the one true king. And that's where he gets that peace and that strength. So he prays, and he gets the word of the Lord. And there's something I think that's powerful there because what really, really allowed this all, to turn out the way that God intended and for Daniel was he heard the word of the Lord people we have the word of the Lord in the midst of our troubles we need to hear the word of the Lord we can hear it via the holy spirit but we have one here that we do not have to doubt we can put our trust in he hears the word of the Lord and after God reveals the dream and the interpretation It comes to Daniel during the night. And then Daniel does this immediately. He didn't get up and run to the king. It says the first thing he did, he was he praised God. He awakened with this information and he praises the God of heaven. And in verse 21, the verse I read a little earlier, this is where that verse comes into play. In his prayer and in his praise, he declares it is he who changes times and epochs or epochs and he removes kings and he establishes kings and when he is through praising the lord then he gets a hold of Arioch the chief executioner the chief bodyguard and he tells to tells him don't kill anybody go tell the king i know the dream and have the interpretation i got to think Arioch was relieved but probably a little skeptical and the king asks this question of him in verse 26. He asked Daniel, he says, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and the interpretation? Now, I might embellish this with a little mic in it, but in my mind, if I'm the king and he's just one of the wise men and he's one of the exiles, one of these crazy God-fearing people, nobody else could tell me and you think you can? Go for it. But in either case, he asks the question, can you? And Daniel responds to him, no man can do it. But there is a God who reveals mysteries. There is a God in heaven who reveals all of these mysteries. And then he makes a point of telling him immediately, King, this has nothing to do with me. What I'm going to tell you has nothing to do with me doesn't have anything to do with my wisdom, my education, my intellect, none of that. has nothing to do with me whatsoever. It is the God in heaven. He is telling you these things that I'm going to tell you so that you may understand the thoughts of your mind. In other words, he's going to tell you these things from your dream. You can have some peace in that mind of yours. And you'll know and understand what the dream was about. And then he reveals the dream to the king. And then Daniel gives the interpretation. Now, we're not going to spend a lot of time today on the dream or the interpretation of it. I just want to touch on it. We'll get to that probably in the end of the book, assuming we get there. But the main emphasis of the dream was the king sees this extraordinary statue. It's huge. Its splendor is amazing. He's in awe of this and obviously a little bit afraid and intimidated by this huge statue. And Daniel goes through and tells him, you know what, king, this statue that you see, the head that's made of gold, that represents you. And all that you have and all that you rule over, all of these things, you are the source of the food, everything to all these people in this amazing kingdom that God has given you, you're the golden head. And then he says, the the breast and the arms that are made of silver. We'll read that that is another empire that is going to come after you. We know it now looking back in history. The Medo-Persian Empire came and destroyed the Babylonian Empire. And then he says, the belly and the thighs, they're made of bronze. This is another empire that's coming and they're going to overtake overrun the Medo-Persian Empire, and we know now going back in history, it's the Greek Empire, Alexander the Great, and all of their conquests that took place. And then the legs of iron and the feet that were partly iron and partly clay is the Roman Empire. It doesn't say it. We know it from history. Looking back, the Roman Empire comes, overruns and takes over, from the Greek empire. And then he says, not only are the feet there, the Roman empire, the, there's that mixture there. They crumble. That's because there's going to be division in that empire. And now we look back in history and we see all this division in that empire. Basically, what the Lord showed him in this dream was what events that were going to take place in the next six to 700 years. And then the bad news is, at the end of it all, or the bad news from his perspective, the king's, was there's a stone that's not made of man. It's not made by man, and it comes and destroys all of it, turns it into dust. And he says, the God of heaven is going to set up his kingdom, and it's going to be an eternal kingdom, not one, created by man or ruled by man, but by the God of heaven, the one true king. And God has made known this to you, O King, that you will know in advance what's going to take place. It didn't help him much because of the mistakes he continued to make. But for us, it should give us an overwhelming confidence in God who predicted over 600, almost 700 years of history. And we're at that place right now where we are waiting for Jesus to come and set up that eternal kingdom here on earth. God's plans and purposes being carried out in the midst of being in exile. And by God was using a man who submitted to the authorities that were over him unless they were asking him to deny his faith in some way. And we'll see that happen. God, his God, the one true God. What impact did it have on Nebuchadnezzar? Well, it tells us in verse 46 of chapter 2. Nebuchadnezzar really does all he knows to do. He is a pagan evil ruler. But he gets told all of this. He tells him his dream, tells him the interpretation of his dream, and then it says this, he fell on his face and did homage to Daniel and his God, saying, surely your God is a God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries since you have been able to reveal this mystery. In the midst of it all, God gets glory and honor. And then not only that, this chapter comes to a conclusion with what might seem trivial, but it says Daniel is promoted. So he is now the chief of over all of the wise men of Babylon. And he then appoints Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to run the country, to run the kingdom. God's faithful servants who faced death, who submitted to the leadership, never panicked, always kept in mind, there is one true king. So now I'm going to share a few things. I want to give the book Heaven Rules because I took these from that book Actually, page 79, for those of you who want to check it out. But my question would be, what do we do with all of this information? Yes, we have this example. We don't live in that time. We don't live in that era. We live here, and it's a mess here. What do we need to do so that we can have strength, peace, not panic, not be filled with fear? What do we need to do? I want to just give you eight different suggestions to keep in mind, and these come directly from Nancy DeMoss Wilhelm's book. First of all, we need to remember God is good even when you don't feel like He's good. How many of you know there's times we don't feel like He's good? The Bible says God is good all the time even when we don't feel like it. Remind ourselves God loves you with a love even when you don't feel like it and you almost feel like he's abandoned you. He loves you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. We need to remind ourselves of these simple truths. God is with you all the time. Number three, remind yourself of what God's done in your past. If you've been a Christian for very long, you can come back and think of those things, the amazing things God has done in your own life. But even better yet, go back and look what God has done throughout the history of the Bible. Think of how God has done things in the past. Yeah, there's some crazy things. There's some things I do not understand. That Old Testament is just crazy. But he's still a good God. Rely on his character. Know who he is. He is kind. He's patient. He's long-suffering. Learn. Remind yourself of these things. Resist taking matters into your own hands. And for some of you control freaks like me, man, that's hard. My first thing is, how do I fix this? And then I make it worse. Don't let fear drive you to places God would not want you to go. We need to remind ourselves of these things. Number four, God uses events that turn the world upside down to drive us closer to Him. In my lifetime, we've probably be there's probably never been a time that I should be closer to God than now. It's nuts out there, the whole world, not just United States, not just Minnesota. It's crazy. Go to go to Him, cling to Him. Number five: As we face fears, we can truly lean on Christ as our fortress, strength, and peace. What's a fortress? It's a safe place. We need to be in that safe place. Christ is our fortress. He is our strong tower. Number six, where trouble is present, God is more present. If He's who He says He is, and if He's who we believe He is, He is everywhere present. He is all powerful, and He is all knowing. That's the kind of God the Bible tells us He is. And that's the kind of God I choose to believe, because that's what the Bible says so dangerous to go with my feelings and let them override the scriptures not not a safe place number 7 and this one is encouraging and important because not everything turns out the way we want it to sometimes the calamities of life happen but we need to understand for christians brothers and sisters children of God. They're not final. Beyond all of the heartache and all the sadness and all the loss that we might experience in this life, we know that we are promised a future in his very presence in heaven for eternity. It's a real thing. It's a real promise. And number eight, the things that seem immovable on earth are not immovable to the one true king. I think if we would do we would do well to remind ourselves of these things when it seems like the world all around us is crazy chaotic dark evil or when we're going through our own personal floods storms of life can we survive this will we survive this remember when the Three boys got thrown into the fiery furnace. Our God's able, but if he doesn't, so what? I'm going to heaven. We don't want to be fatalistic. We need to realize those storms are serious and there's danger in them. But we need to not panic and let fear overtake us. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, you're the only one here who knows all the storms that we're all going through. And there's such peace in knowing and having a confidence that you are aware that you're a good God, that you love us, that you're never taken off guard. You don't panic. We shouldn't. And God, you are not a God who gives fear. Fear that controls. Fear that brings us to that dark place. Lord, I pray that we would be continually encouraged by your word. Holy Spirit, we invite you, implore you, beg you to strengthen us, teach us, encourage us, comfort us as we go through those storms of life. Lord, we pray that no matter what we do, no matter what we go through, God, you receive glory and honor. Help us to be by your spirit a little more like Daniel. Be continually reminded that you are the one true king. All else will fail. All else will burn one day. You will remain. Father, as we go our separate ways today, I pray you would go before us, watch over us, provide those opportunities to share the love of Christ, keep us safe. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.